Hello and good morning, evening or afternoon, depending on when you are listening to this latest episode of Edie's Susty Talks, our series of short but sweet audio interviews with sustainability leaders from across the world. And very apt today, I'm recording this on the 16th of May on the day of the UK government's food summit. Um, very apt to be talking to a sustainability leader in food. I have on the line with me Jess McGee, the Senior Global Sustainability Manager at McCain Foods. Jess, thank you so much for your time. How are you today? Yeah, very well, thank you. Great. Well, thank you for, for hopping on. Um, we always start these with a bit of an introduction to the speaker and a bit of an introduction to um, to their organisation. Um, I probably know McCain Foods not only from my work covering their work on regenerative agriculture and other topics, um, but on the fact that a bag of their chips is probably always in my freezer. Um, but for those who aren't aware of McCain, Jess, it'd be great to have a quick introduction. Yeah, of course. And, and thank you for the invitation to be here. Um, so McCain is a frozen foods business. Um, and for those who may not be aware, we operate in over 160 countries. We have 22,000 employees. And the fact that I like to share with my friends is that one in every four fries globally is a McCain fry. So we have a pretty big footprint and um, a great ability to drive impact, actually. Great. And how long have you been at McCain and what were you up to before then? Yeah, so um, I've been at McCain now for two years, but my background has always been in sustainability and I've had the, the pleasure of working in this area for nearly a decade. So mainly across the corporate sector, specifically consumer goods and cosmetics and also a, also a shorter stint in non-profit. But in terms of my role here at McCain, so I joined to help drive our work on sustainability and really help accelerate what the business was doing to help deliver its purpose, which is to make delicious planet friendly food. So I get to work with our amazing agriculture teams on our smart and sustainable farming agenda, which I can talk more about in a moment, as well as supporting on McCain's involvement in a number of different industry wide coalitions and also on our overall reporting um, efforts to kind of bring to life what we're doing um, and our performance uh, with all the with all of our stakeholders. Great. Well, it sounds like a super interesting job. And you mentioned that acceleration and that joining up of some of the agenda since you joined. And the thing that really stands out to me is um, a commitment made in summer 2021 to regenerative agriculture across 100% of the business's potato acreage by 2030. So that to me was pretty bold. We've seen a lot of companies doing regenerative agriculture pilots and things like that. So it'd be great to hear about what led you to make to make that commitment and to be ready for that 100%, that all in for regenerative potatoes. Yeah, definitely. And, and maybe I can take a step back just to give some context as to why we made that commitment um, and really start where McCain began, which actually was 65 years ago on a potato farm in New Brunswick, Canada. And we were founded by two brothers, Harrison and Wallace McCain, and they really planted the roots of our sustainability efforts today. So they spoke about good ethics being good business. And that mantra has evolved today to be at the heart of our, our purpose. So in terms of what that looks like, so we have our, our social and environmental commitments across four pillars, uh, resource efficient operations, good food, thriving communities and finally our commitment to smart and sustainable farming which as you said you know is all about our, our target to implement regenerative agriculture across 100% of our potato acreage by 2030 
And one of the main reasons we made this commitment was climate change. So our farmers are on the front line of that and our growing regions are experiencing huge climate variability from unprecedented heat waves, cool springs, early frosts. So climate change is, is a threat to the potato industry. And, but we also recognise that agriculture you know, is, is part of the challenge too. Globally, more than a quarter of carbon emissions that contribute towards climate change come from the growing and processing of food. So it's critical that we tackle this now in the right way and also for the future so we can secure our supply chain, really future proof our business um, and ensure our, our food systems are, are more sustainable and resilient. Um, so, yeah, we believe that agriculture can and it must be part of that solution, um, not only to deliver food and, and the livelihoods needs, but also to help solve uh, the, the climate and nature crises. Um, and that's really where regenerative agriculture comes in. Of course. And I know you said you wanted to take a step back. I'm now going to follow suit. I realise that we haven't talked about what regenerative agriculture um, actually is. I've, I've, I've seen a basic definition, but I know that different businesses have different approaches. So, yeah, how does McCain sort of define what would be regenerative practices? How will you know when you've met that target? We see it as a method of farming which aims to improve farmer resilience, yield and quality by restoring soil health. Um, enhancing biodiversity and reducing the impact of synthetic inputs. So we also think about it in terms of outcomes and key principles that can then be applied differently wherever you are in the world. But I guess some of the practices that we are looking at are things like planting cover crops, minimising tillage, um, which helps to reduce soil disturbance, uh, soil erosion and retain that moisture, um, or using, as I said, less synthetic inputs or diversifying crop rotations and integrating livestock. So essentially all of these practices are helping to put back into the soil what has been taken out. So really regenerating that soil and in doing so, it's able to reduce emissions, improve water quality, um, as well as increasing biodiversity and, and that all important farm resilience. Great, thank you. And I mean, I know it's only been yeah, the best part of two years. So it's it's the early stages. Um, but what were some of the first things that you guys did to start adopting regenerative practices? Like how, how do you take the first steps when you've got this big, bold 100 percent target? Yeah. So one of, one of the first steps we took was around education and training all of our field staff um, and farmers. So we actually work with around 3,500 growers globally and we have direct relationships with them, which puts us in a really unique position to drive this transition. But that was our starting point. Um, you know, everything we're talking about here has to be farmer centric. And we know without them, we can't achieve anything. Um, and we also know that they face many pressures. So our starting point was really kind of how do we work hand in hand with them to ensure this makes commercial sense and to also provide clarity on how McCain can can help de-risk this transition. So um, getting out um, in, into the fields, understanding, um, raising awareness with them on what it means for their farms. And to do that, one of the, the key things was, was really working in partnership with a number of local specialists who really understand that local context and soil. For example, in North America, we've partnered with the Soil Health Institute in France, with the Earthworm Foundation. So that's been really important. I would, I'd say another another early step that we that we took was to really put a focus on research and innovation. 
Um, and to do that, um, we started our Farms of the Future programme. And the objective of that is how we can bring together the latest technology with these regenerative nature-based solutions on three McCain-operated commercial farms by 2025. Um, we want to understand you know, the whole farm system, what works, and, and how these practices can then be implemented at scale all around the world. And um, you know, we've actually got two farms in operation already. So one in Canada, New Brunswick, and most recently in Lichtenberg, South Africa. And in fact, we've just published our year two report for our Canadian farm. And I can speak to you know already seeing these results. So I actually had the opportunity to, to visit the farm last year. And you have a regenerative field next to a conventional field. And it's amazing, you know, when you put your spade into the ground where we've been implementing these regenerative practices, you dig out a big piece of soil and essentially it just looks like a big sponge. You can you can see all of these earthworms, uh, long root systems and really understand how during a period of rainfall that soil would just soak it all up. Whereas then you move to the conventional field and you're struggling to get your spade into the ground because of that soil compaction. So already you could, you know, we could start seeing these differences um, after just one year. And as I said, um, our second farm just opened up in in South Africa, and we'll be announcing our our third next year. Great to hear about some of those first steps. Um, I'm presuming that there have been some challenges along the way. We've spoken to other companies doing this, um, and even if there aren't practical challenges, sometimes growers perceive there to be challenges. So what have you learned about what farmers need to practically make this a reality? So I think one of the biggest challenges is that regenerative practices vary depending on the geography, the climate, the soil, even field to field. And that creates a huge challenge when we're aiming to implement practices on a, on a large scale across the whole globe. It's definitely not a one size fits all. And it's also not about telling the farmer what to do. They know their land and their soils better than anyone. And, and many are already on this journey. So it's about supporting them where they're at and giving them the right tools and knowledge to establish what's going to work best for them. I think the second challenge is that um, working with, uh, with a specialty crop such as potatoes is complex. And we recognised that we needed a framework for measurement that was both credible and achievable. So we partnered with experts to develop a regenerative agriculture framework for potatoes, and that really provides a guide for our farmers to support their progression to a more regenerative model and also helps to measure the adoption and, and progress towards our target. And then finally, one of the critical challenges is the financing. We know that this type of farming will be more profitable and sustainable in the long term, but we recognise that there is this period of transition and often there can be significant upfront costs, which can be a barrier for growers. So to try and remove that and incentivise the transition and, and really ensure it makes commercial sense, we've invested in a number of different models um, to provide that financial assistance from, from contracting to, to new types of partnership. And actually just this month, McCain in the UK um, with NatWest launched a new offering to provide preferential payment terms and to contribute towards the interest for regenerative farming equipment. And that really complements also what the, the team locally have been doing already, which is providing um, cover crop grants, free wildflower seeds and free soil health checks. So I guess 
in a nutshell, uh, regenerative agriculture, you know, is one word, but it means a lot of different things. And we're working really closely with our growers to ensure that they're enabled and empowered on this transition. Um, and just something you've mentioned there that I wanted to come on is you mentioned the importance of partnerships and engaging farmers. Um, and you've mentioned a couple internationally, but something that we covered here at ED is the fact that McCain is a member of the Sustainable Markets Initiatives Agribusiness Task Force. Um, and I know that there are other big businesses in that, but growing different crops as well. There are definitely some wheat and rice players in there, um, some with most of their farms in different places than where McCain has most of its farms. Um, so I wanted to get your opinion on why it's important for big businesses to collaborate in this way and whether there are similarities from learnings on potatoes in Canada to learnings on rice in Asia or yeah, so I think the big reason that we're doing this type of collaboration is that regenerative farming isn't scaling anywhere near fast enough. So as part of that research with SMI, um, it currently shows that regenerative farming represents around 15% of the world's cropland today, but it's actually only growing at less than 1% a year. And it's going to need to grow three times faster than that um, to keep within 1.5 degrees of warming. To bring about that change and in terms of that collaboration, um, the Agribusiness Task Force, for those who, who don't know, was set up last year and, and, and brought together key agribusiness players. So manufacturers, retailers, restaurants, um, so members such as Mars, Waitrose, PepsiCo, McDonald's, who's also one of our, um, our customers. And it was really to understand how we can move regenerative agriculture from niche to mainstream and what can we all do differently because the current status is, is not working um, and how we can make um, you know it a no-brainer business decision for the farmer to transition. So as you said we, we've used a few different geographies and commodities um, in this process so potato in the UK, wheat in the US and, and rice in India to identify what were those common learnings um, that could then be scaled to other crops and geographies with similar characteristics. And actually, I think what was interesting is that the action plan that was developed identified five key barriers that were applicable to all of the crops, um, which shows we're actually facing the same challenges. So just quickly, these were the need for consistent metrics, uh, the need for credible systems of payments for environmental outcomes, um, importance of encouraging governments to create policy incentives and rewards, and finally, better mechanisms to share the cost of the farmer's transition um, and to source differently across that whole value chain. Um, so really important that we, we have this type of big collaboration and action and would really encourage listeners to take a look at that report because it's a, a great overview. Yeah, it's a super interesting piece of work. And and some of the things that the research identified, you mentioned, like cost mechanisms, long time policy certainty. While it's definitely influential to have really big food companies working together, that needs the engagement of policymakers. Um, so I guess I wanted to ask how businesses working in regenerative ag can get better at engaging with policymakers at this time when, as you say, it needs to go from niche to to mainstream. Definitely. And, and, and government's role in this transition is absolutely critical. They play a huge part in helping to incentivise, reward and accelerate this move to regenerative agriculture and, and really ensuring that all the funds, the subsidies, um, all that support is going in the same direction. You know, we are seeing that 
of course, governments are at different stages. And with our presence in, in Central Europe, we're, of course, really interested in, in what the EU is, is already doing and, and the upcoming soil health law. So we're working with our coalition partners and industry associations on providing those clear messages to government on how they can support this, this direction and, and really have that right policy environment in place to, to drive this agenda. And I think more broadly as well, you know, it's government, but it's also other partners, um, financing, academic. We work with academic institutions like Dalhousie University, Cornell. Um, and I think it's also interesting to think about non-traditional partners, um, you know, such as water companies, utilities or tourism boards. You know, who are the groups that are going to be benefiting from having a healthy functioning landscape, um, which all starts with a healthy soil. So very much government in, in partnership with, with other stakeholders as well. And maybe just a final point back on the on the government piece. But um, I was on a recent field visit and I heard a phrase that that stuck with me, which is when there is political instability, it's the ground that suffers. So we know we need strong support of governments on this agenda. Of course, it's, as you say, that that idea of it being joined up and there being no contradictions. And we've heard about this in other points of sustainability as well, talking about things like renewable energy connections. So I think that's a great note to to end on, Jess, because I know our time on this call is nearly running out. So thank you very much for um, hopping on Susty Talks today and teaching me loads more about regenerative agriculture. Thank you for your time. Thank you.